Hello, friends, and happy holidays. A quick program note before we get started. This will be the last episode for 2019. I'm going to take a short break before returning in mid-January. It has absolutely been a pleasure producing this podcast, and I look forward to continuing in the new year. But I need some help to do so. If this podcast has been helpful to you in any way, would you consider being a patron? You can join my friend and supporter Michael Potter in giving through Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me keep the lights on, maintain the podcast and website, and look for additional opportunities to grow this project. I have several ideas that I'd like to implement that I just can't self-finance at this time. I cannot do this without the help and encouragement of you, the listener. Please consider supporting through Patreon. You can find more information and the tiers of investment at patreon.com empathyand. If you have suggestions, you can always email me at empathyand at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. Empathy is a superpower, and you have it. It is the energy of human connection. It's biological, sociological, and spiritual in nature. And it is something that we are hardwired for. Empathy is the key to deep, meaningful, and thriving relationships. Welcome to the conversation. This is Empathy And. Welcome back to the podcast, y'all. This is Michael Scott Evans, and you're listening to Empathy And. It has been three weeks of reflections on Advent. We've discussed hope and spiral dynamics, faith and the winter solstice, and last week we talked about spiritual bypassing and the journey to joy, all in the light of this current season of Advent. But wait, you say, the title of the series has been Empathy and Emergence, we haven't talked about emergence at all. My response? Well, I happen to think it's all about emergence. Emergence, put simply, is when small things form bigger things that have different properties than the sum of their individual parts. And that sentiment might sound familiar, right? Basically, it's when the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. A more crude definition of emergence would be that it's when stupid things get together to make something smart. <laughs> Here's an example. You get stuck in a rainstorm, and you are soaked. But technically speaking, there is really no such thing as wetness. There are just water molecules sitting in the spaces in between the atoms of your clothes. Wetness is an emerging property of water. It's something new that's created by the individual interactions of water molecules. Or think about it this way. Our heart 
separate from our cardiovascular system and outside of our body, our heart has no purpose. But placed within the anatomical ecosystem of the body, it serves a vital role that previously could not have been fulfilled. That is what is called an emergent property. Dr. Stuart Kaufman explains emergence as the biosphere creating its own future possibilities of becoming. This is an especially beautiful way of describing emergence as it places the emphasis solely in the future and in unknown properties and effects that may arise based on an emergent property. We see emergent properties everywhere. Did you know that the queen in an ant colony has absolutely no purpose other than procreation? There is no one ant that has mission control or the power to direct action. The work and movement of the ants emerge from the collective. And ants are famous for the collaboration and cooperation to construct relatively sophisticated systems and environments. And they do that with no real leader. Have you ever watched starlings fly in formation, either in real life or in video? This process is called murmuration, and it is an emergent property only found when groups of hundreds, sometimes thousands of birds, fly in those mesmerizing coordinated patterns that we love to watch. The collective power and connection of individual players is magnified when present in community. And in most cases, actually, new and creative purposes come to light in a reaction to the organization of the community itself. So why have I placed emergence as a key theme throughout this series of Advent? I believe that the collective power of human connection and the transformation that we go through individually and collectively on a yearly basis through this season of Advent has the potential to emerge into a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. The power of empathy is not just in a changed and more noble interior life. That can't be it. That can't be the whole reason. It is in the revolution of love and care and kindness that will inevitably emerge from it. Advent is a time of introspection and change, and when done on a larger, more global scale, it can prove to set the stage for emergence. Albert Einstein once said, Peace cannot be kept by force, it can only be achieved by understanding. In peace, we have the culmination of the other three themes of Advent. It allows us to picture a cohesive model for change and emergence. Hope places our focus on a future state that we can't see quite yet. It holds us in the darkness and, along with faith, it encourages us to work through the shadow of our understanding. At no point do we wish ourselves beyond the point we currently reside, but it does leave a glimmer just a glimmer of purpose ahead. And joy, well, as we mentioned in the last episode, joy is the journey through the hills and valleys of our experience. It relishes the conquest. It as well does not attempt to push us beyond where we are with any false pretense, 
but joy is an admonition against the glossed-over spirituality that so often attempts to bypass real emotion and struggle. Because it's only through our real-life challenges and hard emotions that we actually learn a new way to be in the world. We fail. And we fail a lot. (laughs) But we fail forward with the faith that we can persevere to see a new future. And then, there's peace. Now, I imagine Einstein was probably talking about peace on a more global scale. But I would argue that there is no larger a scale than the peace we achieve through understanding ourselves. His point is still something that we must take to heart. Peace cannot be achieved through force of will, not internally or externally. It can only be achieved with understanding. Eckhart Tolle once said, You find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life, but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. And this is a wonderful reminder of the first half of an emergent peace that we are building towards. This emergent peace comes from humanity rising up to meet the challenge of empathy head on. But an internal understanding is truly only one half of the equation. We must then turn it outwards towards introspection. Who are we in relationship? How can we better understand ourselves? through other people's experience of us. Now, this can get tricky, right? This is an equally weighted calculus. We balance these two things, lest we get too interested in our own understanding and introspection and navel-gazing, or on the opposite end, we get too obsessed or codependent on other people's feelings and attitudes about us. I recently had a conversation with someone that I respect a great deal about my definition of empathy. We didn't quite get to the point where we would agree on definitions, and and that's okay. I'm not too concerned about uniformity or unanimity. But it did reinforce that the type of empathy that I speak of is maybe an unusual take on a concept that most people think that they might already have an idea about. Now, I'm not here to say that my definition should be orthodoxy. Anyone that has been listening to this podcast for the last year would realize that I have no desire to attempt to be so bold. But what I will say is this. Empathy as an energy that connects us all and is our primary source of creativity and a tool for cultivation just makes sense. It makes sense to me. It fits in with the other things that I see and know and feel about the world around me. It deepens our respect for each other and makes the human bond devastatingly invulnerable. Our ability to not just share emotion, but to harness this energy for a more productive and kind future, it seems as viable as any other alternative despite the challenges. The advent of peace is the coming revolution of empathy. It is the emergence of a more sophisticated way of being human. Now notice I don't say better. Sophisticated and better aren't necessarily synonymous. Sophisticated just means that we take what we've learned and elevate it into a different pattern or system of understanding. We are setting up a table that is radically inclusive, incredibly diverse, and highly collaborative. That is the vision. 
That's the idea. And it reaches out beyond this microphone and this podcast. And I hope you will join me there. One of my favorite Rumi quotes is almost definitely his most famous. He says, Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Early on in this podcast, I think I told you about a book that I had read in my preparation before launch. Now, my interests were wildly varied. (laughs) I went from social and sociopolitical realms to the more psychological and neurological and neurobiological. And I also read some things that would maybe be considered speculative science. One of these books was called The Field by Lynn McTaggart. And this book was fundamental to my understanding of how this energy of connection could be explained. And what I found out is that it wasn't purely speculation. But it was by tying in a number of different tested phenomena by well-respected scientists. The book explains that everything is connected by what she calls the zero-point field, which is a sea of energy that reconciles mind with matter classic science with quantum physics, and science with religion and spirituality. And that brings me back to that Rumi quote. Out beyond ideas of wrong and right, there is a field. And when we lie down in that grass, the world is too full. But maybe I would use the word complete or whole. Because when we recognize that everything is energy, then everything is spiritual Everything is matter. Everything is sacred, and everything is also profane. There is no right or wrong. There is no left or right, up or down. There is no in or out. It is all the same. We are made of the same stuff. Now, please, don't mishear or misunderstand me right now. I do believe that there is a general kindness that we must agree to in our social contract with each other. Once you come to the grips with this wholeness of peace, you realize that where we see injustice and marginalization, we must confront it, both in ourselves and in others. A spirituality that identifies that there is no you and there is no me, there is only us, causes us to move and adjust like the murmuration of the starlings, to address how we collectively respond to the challenges that might arise. I'm going to let Lynn McTaggart, the author of The Field, close us out today. This sums up my feelings on the arriving peace, emergence, and this common ground of empathy that I believe is on its way. It is arriving. It is Advent. What matters is not the isolated entity, but the space between things. The relationship of things, the bond. Every conflict that occurs, whether between husband and wife, social or racial groups, is resolved. Only when we can fully see and embrace the space, the bond between us. 
Peace, y'all, and have a blessed holiday and a wonderful emergent new year.